really the only way to change those old patterns is to change something that you do. If I change my little steps in the dance, the other person basically has to change their little steps because I'm not saying and doing the things that they think I'm going to say and do. And it changes the dynamic little by little. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Oh my goodness. I cannot wait to talk to our guest today. I really am. I'm always crying. (laughs) You are. It's okay, honey. It's okay. Our guest, our guest, Dottie Lawrence, has touched my life personally by helping my daughter get through a particularly difficult time in life. And I just really owe so much to her. I know. You know, Dottie herself, she had tremendous difficulties too when she was young. And here's the thing I find really fascinating. It's the people who have had the most challenges in life that as adults, they are the ones that seem to find ways to first even recognize the crazy shit that happens to themselves or to us as children and how it then impacts us as adults. And then They have the courage that it takes to face those traumas and find ways to heal so that they can live more authentically. And in Dottie's case, helping others to face their trauma and live authentically. Yes. You know, it's interesting that you're saying this because I am working through this right now, as a matter of fact, so crazy. I mean, we are both in the dating world. Yes, honey. Mm. (laughs) And so, right. I just went out with this guy I would say probably eight or 10 dates. And we really connected. He actually knew how to carry on a conversation, which to those two male listeners out there, and I know both of you, both of you, please, for the love of God, practice having a good conversation because I don't know where people are. I don't know. Anyway. I'm going on a tangent, but I realized that each time that we were together, there was something that he said or did that was just a little triggering for me. And I suddenly found myself in this kind of emotional state, trying to figure out where all of this was coming from for me. God, thank God we have daddy, daddy here to help us unpack all of our shit. That's hilarious. I called her daddy. Maybe I really do want a daddy here to help me unpack my shit. Daddy, Dottie, either one. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. But Dottie, so Dottie is Dottie. She holds a degree in psychology and a master's in education. She has 20 years of experience and brought her passion for mindfulness to her role as a school administrator. So this is enhancing the well-being of all of the students she works with and strengthens their social and emotional skills. Right. And goodness knows, being the mom of two teenage daughters, that our teenagers need to practice a little bit more mindfulness because, you know, holy crap. Seriously. And now Dottie has been leading workshops to provide educators with the social and emotional skills showing empathy to others in difficult situations or, or emotional regulation. 
right? Maybe that's what I need. <laughs> a little emotional regulation. Oh, but then you wouldn't cry for us every day. Oh, what, I know. What would happen? You love okay. that. But honestly, we could all use a little bit of emotional regulation. And today, Dottie is going to help us to better understand attachment theory and how and why our attachment styles form, which is maybe what you were feeling, Shelby, when you were going out with that guy. Maybe it was a difference in attachment styles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that is a huge part of it for sure. And then we'll discuss the ways in which we can actually use empathy to heal and improve communication and relationships. And Dottie has so seriously, so much goodness to share. So check in the show notes for those links. Yes, absolutely. And so many of you have reached out saying how much you liked our last guest's core self quiz. So today we are including a quiz for attachment styles. We want you to find the link in the show notes. We want you to take the quiz. And Daygummit, if you do not leave us a review and let us know what your attachment style is, I'm going to come <laughs> cuss all y'all out. Let's do it. Right? Let's do it. Yes. We would love your help on the reviews because honestly, positive reviews and your participation are how we keep this show going. That's so it. if you're really loving the Dear Mid Live podcast, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And so now, without further ado, let's get into it with Dottie. Yes. Let's figure this shit out. Let's go, Dottie. We need you. We need you, Dottie. Dottie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yay. We're excited Yay. to have you. And today we're here to talk about how our past has shaped who we are today. So Dottie, I would love to just jump in with you and have you explain to us what are attachment styles? Tell us what the definition of that is. Basically, in a nutshell, attachment styles are ways that we have learned to behave based on our early experiences with our caregivers as children. Mm -hmm. When we're born, our brains are so much smaller than most primates' brains. 70% of our brains develop after birth. Oh, and interestingly enough, really? that the one part of our brain that is fully developed at birth is our amygdala, which is the center of our emotions. So we mm. are born with this ability to be completely terrified but we're, but prefrontal cortex is not developed until later. So we don't have the regulation skills to calm ourselves down when we're upset. And that, that comes much later. And the brain is not fully developed until we're 25. So that as children, fascinating. right. As children, we depend on our caregivers to help us regulate when we're upset. We depend on them to respond to us when something's going on, when we need something, when we're hungry, when we're tired, whatever, when we're hurt, whatever's going on. And so the amount of responsiveness we get from those caregivers really shapes our ability to be out in the world, trusting people. Wow. People. Yeah. I distinctly yeah. remember as a child, really young. So I have this memory when I was around two years old, I could have been even younger because I was definitely wearing diapers and I'm crying and screaming at the top of my lungs. So upset about something. And the way that my mother handled it and she handled it like this frequently was she would start crying and screaming at the top of her lungs to try to outmatch my scream. Oh, wow. Hmm. How fascinating that you say that. Like, this just hit me. I am sure that in there somewhere, some sort of um, strange attachment style was Yeah, that, that impacted the way you felt people would respond to you when you yes. needed them. Yes. Right? So so this is them. why I cry and scream really loud. Like, well, that's bitch, what I was going to say. Think about who you are today, Trinity. Yeah. You are the one that always yes. has the voice, that always interjects, right? 
Yes. I mean, that's fascinating. And you know, you hear about all these, I've heard a hundred times that your brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25. And I think about that in terms of my children who are 13 mm -hmm. and 16 and the decision-making skills that they have at this age, they don't understand the full consequence. And so that's the context in which I was actually taking your brain isn't fully developed, but I find it super fascinating that because our brain was not fully developed and because we were dependent on these other caregivers, that that really has ultimately shaped the way that we act, react and respond to the world around us. And I never really took it in that context. Yeah. I always took it in a different context. Yeah, no, it so, shapes all of the, our views of the world and of people that we interact with in the world and what we expect from them and what we feel like we can either count on or not. Oh my gosh. So tell us a little bit then let's unpack this. Can you provide us some examples of how, what happened to you in your childhood might play itself out in adulthood? Yeah, I can absolutely do that using myself as an example. The oh, example great. I know the best. Yeah, I've right. seen hundreds of examples over the years working with really closely right. with teachers. But yeah, so when I was um, four, uh, my parents got divorced. My dad, um, is, was an alcoholic and he also was bipolar. And so mm -hmm. things were, things were tough when they were together. Like my earliest memories are not really happy ones, but my parents got divorced when I was four and my father actually got custody of my two sisters and me. And so mm -hmm. we went to live in a household with someone who was often chaotic, you know, someone mm -hmm. who drank to calm himself down, someone who had bipolar episodes, uh, who could be very loving, but then also be really awful, you know, emotionally abusive at times, physically abusive. Mm -hmm. And as a four-year-old, you know, that's, that's the person that's supposed to take care of me. So life was pretty scary. At the same time, my mom moved away to go to college because she was 25 years old. She had three small children. She'd never been to college. So wow. I hardly ever saw my mom when I was little. I saw her very infrequently and I was living in this chaotic situation. Wow. And so, yeah. So thankfully for me, right away in kindergarten, I had the best teacher in the world. Her name, and I'm not joking, her name was Mrs. Helper. And <laughs> yeah. we love her. Uh, I know. Yeah. So she she made me know all that stuff, but she made me feel seen and loved and mm. safe. And so I had that safety at school. So school always became like this place where I felt okay. Um, those things were still in there though. And there was a part of me, even as a little kid, I, I realized, you know, my dad's doing things that are hurtful because he was hurt. Like somehow I knew that there was like this cycle of pain, like this generational trauma, you know, I don't know how I knew at such a young age. And so I found I found a way to forgive those times, but it still would be difficult when he would do that again. And as I grew up and, you know, started dating and things. So I had two things happening, right? I was living with someone who could be really chaotic and angry right. and verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. And then the other parent, not there most of the time. And so not really a safe place to, to fall. And when I started dating later on, um, I, let me just say this, like in high school, we started studying Shakespeare and I learned the term unrequited love. Mm -hmm. I just really resonated <laughs> with that. And I thought, yes, I get this. And I thought that's what love was. Like mm -hmm. I thought love was either pining away for someone who wasn't around or with someone who wasn't treating you nicely. Mm, and wow. as a consequence in my relationships, I put up with a lot of stuff from people that I shouldn't have put up with. I put up with, you know, being pushed away, being lied to just, you name it, you know, all these things, because in my fear of being abandoned, I abandoned myself. 
Like mm-hmm. I wanted to connect with other people so much because that felt familiar to me. It wasn't that I liked it, you know what I mean? But those, those childhood experiences had formed this idea in my mind and in my body of what love felt like. And so when people treated me badly, it felt familiar. The chaos that you had as a child felt yeah. familiar in a chaotic situation as a grown up with a relationship. Yeah. Someone wow. who would be mean or someone who would push me away, who wasn't around for me, you know, and then I would just do anything, you know, to be loved. And consequently, like I said, I, I abandoned myself because I was so afraid of them abandoning me. Um, and it wasn't until I became much older as an adult and started, started studying these kinds of topics and actually started teaching about them that it was able to heal all of that. And I no longer look for those kinds of relationships or stay in them if I encounter them. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of understanding yourself, unpacking how you got there, why your brain and your body resonates with that kind of feeling. And, it, and it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, but, you know, you have to move forward and become the person that you're supposed to be. And you can't do that if you get stuck in those old patterns for too long. Dottie, this resonates so much with me. You have no idea. Like I had the most tumultuous, trauma-filled, chaotic childhood. And I've always had this, this um, position on it that it's okay because I love the woman that I am today. And I know that every ounce, every moment, everything that I went through led up to who I am now. Absolutely. So I'm okay with that. But as I think back on, um, you know, seeing my father and his friends snorting cocaine through hundred dollar bills and, and dad passing out and, and then our me and my mom and my sister are having to go and live our lives on the run, running away from him because he had said, if you ever leave, I will hunt you down. I will find you. I will kill you. And I will take the girls. And so we lived under assumed names for years. There was just, there's so many stories. My life is such a made for TV movie. And I thought that I healed so much of that along the way. But as you're speaking right now, and I'm thinking about the post-divorce Trinity, who I was divorced in 2017, I have been, you know, on this quest for love, you know, and I still remember the little girl, we'd go to the laundromat and I'd go find the biggest dryer and stick my head in it and start singing, someday my prince will come. (laughs) So I could hear it resonate through the dryer. Right. Um, But I'm still doing that. Yeah, I'm still singing it. It's just a much bigger motherfucking dryer right now, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how do we kind of take these things and start to connect the dots back to the moments in our lives where these yeah. things happen that are affecting us right now? And how do we start to peel back that trauma or what's happened and, and begin a real he- healing process? Yeah. And I think you, you just nailed it right there. You said, peel it back. You know, you have Mm -hmm. to start examining it. It's hard. Like we don't want to think about these things, right? It's hard Mm -hmm. to think about them. And I will tell you that in the work that I do with fuel ed, when I'm training teachers, I mean, we get up there and we tell our stories, we lay our souls bare because first of all, we want to model the vulnerability that we're expecting from people, but we also want to show them that like, the more you tell your story, the less power it has over you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, So there's a process of becoming what we call, you know, having earned secure attachment and, Mm -hmm. um, 
earning secure attachment comes through sharing your stories, digging through them, whether it be publicly like we're doing today, or even like with a counselor or a therapist, um, you know, with a friend. And the other piece is having a secure relationship, having a secure relationship with another person who's there for you, who has empathy for you, who models secure attachment figure behaviors. And that is how we end up being able to become a secure attachment figure. And that's, that's how I did it. I mean, am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I have moments where I freak out and I get anxious? Of course. It never goes away completely, but you can most of the time act in a way as as more of a secure attachment figure for yourself and for others. Um, You know, when we're under stress, it's hard because that's when we sort of tend to go back to that primal, like, Mm -hmm. you know, way that we're programmed. Right. And so, you know, but, but really digging through your story, talking about your story, um, understanding your story, like I said, with a therapist, a friend, however it works for you. And then just experiencing that really strong relationship, having that person that Mm -hmm. you can count on. I love Mm. that. So I want to pause just a moment for our listener out there who might not be familiar with attachment styles, because I've heard you use some phraseologies that they might not know. Uh, One of the things I heard you talk about was secure attachment and anxious So help us understand the definitions of attachment styles and how do we recognize who we are and where we fit into all this? Yeah, so um, so there's different places that you go. You might see different numbers of attachment styles, different organizations, different therape- therapeutic models. We'll talk about different ones. The work that I do with Fuel Ed, we basically talk about four, four attachment styles. We talk about secure attachment styles. So that's a person who, as a child, you know, might have had all of their needs met, you know, never or most of the time anyway, you know, didn't come out of their childhood feeling particularly anxious or upset, um, felt like they could count on people and could count on the world. And then we have anxious attachment. So that's what I ended up feeling like. So these are the people that are afraid of um, not being with people. They're, they can mm-hmm. be clingy. They can be neat. They can be seen as being needy because they want to connect. They want to attach. And then we have the avoidant attachment. So avoidant attachment people basically are like, nope, I can take care of myself. I don't need any help from anybody. And they don't ever want to count on anybody for anything. And then the fourth style that we talk about at Fuel Ed is called disorganized. And so that's a little bit of both anxious and avoidant. Mm-hmm. So it's like, sometimes you want to connect and other times you push away. And so- That's where I really think I am. I really yeah. think I'm that person. Yeah. Interesting. What makes you think that, Trinity? Because sometimes I love people and sometimes I wish everybody was dead, (laughs) (laughs) frankly. Well, it's so funny because I just had this experience too. And we were sort of chatting a little bit before we hopped on the podcast where I, I think one of the things that I've learned as I start to explore some of these different topics, since we've really are starting to dive into our own personal identities and are on our healing journey ourselves, which is why we've launched this podcast is because it's helping us heal. And we're hoping that it's helping other women heal. But one of the things that I realized is like, I thought I had a pretty healthy childhood. I have you know, my mom did pass away when I was seven. She was 30. So it was a very sudden. She had a heart attack. It was unexpected. And so that was obviously a very traumatic experience. My dad remarried less than a year later. And, you know, I had two parents that were good role models. They had great jobs. And I thought, you know, I felt like that was a pretty secure childhood. Like I had all the things. But what I didn't realize is that somehow my emotional needs were not being met along the way. And because my parents did have good jobs and because they were very successful, I pretty Mm. much was left to raise myself. So I feel Mm. like I have this 
avoidant attachment style because I grew up raising myself with full independence from the age of like eight or something. I was like taking care of my younger siblings and in control of all of the things and doing all of the things. And so I've started to kind of unpack that. But then the other couple of weeks ago, I had this conversation with a guy. We were on a date and we had talked about attachment styles because he had been going to therapy because he had just gotten (laughs) out of a relationship with somebody that was also very avoided. And so we were having these conversations and suddenly I found myself being like this anxious person because I felt like, oh my gosh, this is the first person I've connected with for so long. And now we're having these really deep conversations and now I don't want to lose him. So I'm like, okay. And I was being overly communicative, mm-hmm. which I do claim to be the extrovert to the fault. <laughs> so um, that might not be a surprise. Y'all, y'all should see the texts I get at 6 a.m. I'm like, does this bitch sleep? God, dog. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I found that so interesting because I had always thought of myself as being the avoidant person, the independent spirit. Yeah. So I had never categorized myself as being disorganized. So hearing you say that is really fascinating. So interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it it makes a lot of sense. And I definitely think it's important to note that, you know, our attachment style is not necessarily um, a commentary on the state of our childhoods or our families. Mm. If, if we're anxious, if, if we're um, avoidant, it doesn't mean we had a bad family. It could have just been some experiences that we had. And, you know, mm. over the years, I've known a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of students from very affluent families. And on the outside, it looks like they have everything. But like you said, sometimes those parents are working, working, working. And even though it looks like the kids have everything, they don't have one thing that they really need. And that's somebody right there with them all the time. Yeah. And that can cause us to have attachment issues. So yeah, it totally makes sense to me, especially given your mother's death, that Mm -hmm. you probably had to be very independent growing up. You probably had to like really take care of yourself. And then here's your dad forming this new relationship with somebody. So putting attention to that, whereas maybe not giving you as much attention, you know, just because he's, he's got this new relationship going Mm -hmm. on, not because he doesn't care about you. And so that could also, both of those things could cause you to be like, oh, but I really want to be with this person. So definitely can see where that disorganized attachment style would form in that situation. It totally makes sense. Well, I'm curious to know too, how other life events affect you. So I had a very tumultuous relationship in my marriage as well, because my ex-husband wasn't an alcoholic. I felt like he was an overt narcissist where there was a lot of manipulation. And I feel like that's also contributed to my attachment style. So do other events in life shape your attachment style as you grow? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they do. I mean, they can definitely impact how it manifests in your life, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you may have a particular attachment style from childhood that you that you mostly like. That's your kind of your go to thing when you're under stress. Mm. But then some things can happen that can cause you to act in different ways. And um, yeah, I was I was thinking about that as well because I, I've heard you talk about that background before, and and it, it, it kind of makes sense to me too. So there's your there's your avoidant, um, mm. you know, attachment style. I can take care of everything. So you mm-hmm. did everything because the person that you were with was, you know, it was chaotic. And I will say there's, there's something else that's really interesting that sort of plays into all of this. And, um, even though you weren't a child when you were married, obviously, but there's something called adverse childhood experiences. They're also called ACEs. There are a lot of really amazing studies about those. And, and there are things like substance abuse, um, neglect, living in poverty, divorce. And so there's this whole list of things that like, if these all of the above, 
If these, yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I took the, there's a, there's a website you can go to called ACEs too high and you can actually take the test and it'll show you, you know, like these are the adverse childhood experiences that you had. It gives you a score and you know, those things, if not addressed, these researchers have found that they can cause long-term stress in your body and cause, mm. Ill, cause illness because you're living with this trauma stored in your body and it can manifest in physical illnesses like cancer and heart, heart disease and things like that. So those things are traumatic, you know, whether you experience them as a child or as an adult being around an alcoholic and the behaviors, you know, associated with that or any kind of addict, like Trinity, you were saying, mm -hmm. it can definitely impact your ability to connect and trust other people, yeah. no yeah. matter what age you are. Yeah. And what I often find, so I'm one of those, I'm also in the dating game, right? So as I told people in one of our previous episodes, at some point Shelby and I are just going to hang it up and be like, girl, let's just date each other. This is too crazy. <laughs> so um, one of the things I often find with myself in this horrible dating game that I'm playing is I will go on a date with a guy. 90% of the time, it's like, oh my God, you're the best thing ever. Trinity, I'll, I'm going to give up my life for you. I'll move down here. Let's get married tomorrow. And I'm like, the moment that that happens is when this, like, I will straight up ghost you. You will never hear from me again. I don't, you've, you've not been born. I do not. I've stricken your name from everything that I can find. I've deleted you. I've jumped <laughs> off the dating app, deleted my whole damn profile. Cause I don't ever want you to find me again. Like the moment that they're like, I really like you. Let's do something. Nope, nope, nope. You're dead to me. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. Very well, and that, that can be the attachment styles attracting one another. You know, it's like I said, mm -hmm. like being an anxious attachment style person, I was so attracted to avoidant people. I thought that's the way love was supposed to be. And so it plays out all the time, you know, unconsciously because people have these experiences with their caregivers. So, you know, it'd be interesting to know like what's his attachment style and how did yours, your attachment style bump up against his and, you know, mm -hmm. And so it's funny. interesting. Yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead Trinity. No, no, no. I'm well, just, no, yeah, girl, I'm about to go down turn. the list Sorry. of 700 guys. <laughs> so we'll be all here all day. Um, no, I was sitting here just wondering, like, how do we, how do we navigate that then? Because, you know, I only know that I can control myself. I can't control yeah. the other person. So how do we start to, to navigate relationships where we are like, aha, I see this guy is totally anxious right now. And it's making me totally totally avoid it. Yes. Trinity's got her finger on the delete app. I'm like you know? ghost, where's like, the ghost button? <laughs> but what if you like, how do you put a pause on that? And how do you step back? And can you have a conversation with the other person? How do you navigate this? Or, you know, like I also noticed this with my, my mom too, my stepmom, who I call mom now, she's also very avoidant. And I mm. think in just not excluding you know, romantic relationships in, in many relationships, how do you unpack it? How do you solve the gaps that are between you? And, and especially with like a parental relationship, how do you heal that? So you can continue to have these people in your lives or how does Trinity get beyond her ghosting tendencies and find true love? Because until we can get beyond it, that's where we are. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, and I can talk about how I was able to overcome that with my, my parents, my father, especially, but I, I think it, it boils down to a couple of things, right? So having empathy, having empathy for others and mm. empathy for ourselves 
and really understanding, like, like I said, you know, I, I understood there was some generational trauma. I understood that my father was acting in sort of pre-programmed ways based on his childhood wounds. And, you know, and then I go back to my grandmother and think about like, what were her childhood wounds? And you could go back generation after generation and see how this plays out. And so having empathy with people taking that pause and trying to understand like what is actually going on with them that's causing them to act this way. And then also having empathy with yourself, you know, really examining what's going on with yourself. Uh, there's a tool that we use at Fuel Ed we call the Perspectrum that I really love. It, it's kind of changed my life. And so the Perspectrum, and it's kind of a cute name, but it's the, yes. the spectrum of things that you consider when you're taking somebody else's perspective. So somebody's talking to you about what's going on with them and you're thinking like, what's the problem that they're having? Like, what do they need right now? What are they feeling? What are they thinking? Like, what's the story they're telling themselves? And the piece that really to me is like so huge is the values. What does this person value? Because when people are upset, when something's going on with someone and they have something going on that they're like so upset about, or they're acting out about, it's because something in their values is not being met. Their, their needs are not being met. Their, their values are kind of out of kilter with what's happening. And, you know, because of that, they're having certain feelings and they're acting in certain ways. And really, like we say, all behavior is a form of communication. So true. Sometimes the people that need our love and care the most ask for it in the most unloving ways. Yeah. So mm. we need to have that empathy to try to figure out. And it's hard, right? Because we were like, well, who's going to be empathetic with me? But right. if we really, <laughs> yeah, if we really want those relationships, then sometimes we have to take the first step. And so like, I always tell people, you know, every relationship is like a dance. I do my little steps. You do your little steps. I know what you're going to do. If I say this, I know what you're going to say. If I do that and, you know, think about families, think about holidays with families, you know, right. like you can predict exactly how it'll play out. Right? <laughs> sure. And so Really, the only way to change those old patterns is to change something that you do. If I change my little steps in the dance, the other person basically has to change their little steps because I'm not reacting the way that they're used to me reacting. I'm not saying and doing the things that they think I'm going to say and do. And it changes the dynamic little by little. And for me, over the years, that's basically what I what I did. I mean, especially with my dad, you know, and my dad did realize the things that he did that were hurtful and apologized. And that was huge. Of course, mm. you're, not, you're not always going to get an apology, right? No. But he did, but he still continued to struggle with his bipolar disorder mm. his whole life. He just died in June and he wow. had a huge bipolar episode in December that was really hard to deal with. And I just yeah. had to keep telling myself he can't help it. He can't help it. And so I, I was happy to say that like when he died, we were in a really wonderful place. I put him in hospice care um, mm. before he died. And, and I scattered his ashes the week after he died. And, mm. and, and I, and I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not forgiven him for the things that, that happened and understood that like had empathy for him, you know? And so sometimes it's having that empathy for them and having the empathy for ourselves as well to know that like, Little by little, we can change relationships, you know, yeah. and, and then we also have to be selected, like what relationship is important enough to us to do all of that? You know, the guy on That's Bumble, the key. Yeah, maybe yeah, not. forget it. Family member, hopefully. Yeah. 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 And there's friendships. I see how this plays out in friendships. I have several friendships of multiple decades and I've seen how this has played out, you know, in, in a couple of those friendships and one in particular where we've just gone back and forth and back and forth and in and out of our friendship over and over and over. And, you know, just recently I've, um, I come to realize, and it was, it was a pretty profound realization for me. And suddenly I'm feeling teary and this is an odd mm -hmm. 
feeling for me. <laughs> we don't do this, Trinity. Swallow this down. Um, but I came to realize that she, after all of these decades, did not know me. Mm-hmm. And um really thought that I'm somebody that I'm not. And it was, it just hurt me to the core because to me, she was one of these pillars in my life. Yeah. Somebody that's always been there since I was 17 years old. And, um, and to suddenly feel super misunderstood by someone that suddenly it wasn't, it wasn't about suddenly being misunderstood, but suddenly I realized, realized that she, this entire time had had a perception of me that is so remarkably and vastly different from who I am in a very painful and hurtful way. And I saw all of the fights that we had ever had kind of Mm. pinpoint back to this fulcrum, right? Mm -hmm. It was the thing that had become this teeter-totter. And I just made a decision for myself in a moment without even like, I don't have to accept that. I don't have to be okay with that. And for me to be okay with me, I don't even need to explain myself Mm -mm. one more moment. And I see all of this playing into that. Yeah. There are times when we do that, right? Like we, we, we stop and we think after we spend time with someone, how do I feel after I spend time with that person? Cause I want to feel good after I spend time with someone that is supposed to be a friend or whatever. But when you leave them and you feel bad, that's a sure sign that that isn't feeding your soul. It's, it's not good for you. If you get to the point though, where you go, well, but this is a relationship I really want. Another thing that we talk about a lot is we call it collaborative problem solving. So like I said, we use the perspective to look at other people, right? Like what is the problem? What is the need? How are they feeling? What are they thinking? What do they value? We also turn it on ourselves. And we think about a problem that we're having through that lens of all of those different components. And then we figure out a way to express that to the other person from our own perspective. Mm. So it's, it's really easy to be blamey, right? Like you always do this and to be finger pointing and judging. And so we have to be really careful to, to state the problem in a way that's very much about what's happening with us. And so we basically just do three Mm. steps. Like, like when this happens and not like when you do blah, 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 but like when I feel misunderstood by a friend, you know, and then like, What's the impact for you? You know, I mean, the impact, it sounds like it, 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 it makes you question your entire relationship, your decades long relationship. Um, it makes you feel, I don't know, Trinity, you could fill in the gap there, in the blank there. Like how does, what's the impact for you? Yeah. Um, just the impact is you just want to get, get rid of it. Right. Yeah. You just wanna, completely yeah. broken trust. And yeah. for me, and that's yeah. trust is everything to me. Yeah. So when I, when I feel completely misunderstood, by someone I thought knew me really well, the trust really goes away. And I feel you could name lots of different ways you feel. I don't know what's top of mind for you. What's the trade? The trade. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the three-step process. You say like, when this happens, this is the impact on me and this is how I feel. And if it's a relationship you really want to preserve, you could try, we call it a genuine statement. So you could try saying that genuine statement to her and hope it goes well and hope she's receptive if, if it's worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I've tried that before and it didn't go so well, even with my own sister, Mm. Um, because there's so much history there, you know, but that is, that's kind of the way that we talk about how to do that. And maybe that person has a problem too. And so we kind of go back and forth Mm. being empathetic, understanding their perspective, using those pieces of of the perspective, but then also 
explaining what's happening for us. And like I said, in a very non-judgmental way, just saying when this happens, the impact is this and I feel this way. Can I do this by text? Please. (laughs) I mean, if you still have her number, it sounds like you might have already deleted it. Right. right? I deleted you. I've stricken you from every obelisque. You are dead. Yeah. With her head. Yeah, you absolutely could. You know, you could put it in an email. You could put it in a text. I mean, you know, but again, it's 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 risky. Yeah. It, It takes vulnerability to do that if the relationship's worth it to you, you know, and sometimes we feel like relationships should be worth it to us just because we've had them for so many decades. That's the key. Yeah. And, and sometimes, it, yeah, sometimes it can't be the measuring can, stick. Yeah. The shared yeah. history can't always be the measuring stick. Right. Cause the beautiful part is I was able to also look up from that and see the wonderful and beautiful friendships and relationships in my life that mm-hmm. the people that get me, the people yeah. that get me and know me and, and, and the people that when I am an asshole, give me grace and speak on it and use phrases like you've used. I can look at, you know, I've got Shelby in my life who is open Mm. and honest and loving and fun. You know, I've got my other group of girls that is just, they're there loyal to the soil. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to put myself in a position with a relationship that makes me feel this way. Yeah. When I have beautiful, loving, solid relationships in my life. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And the other thing that really stood out to me is the idea that we own our part. We own, I feel like it's so easy to point a finger and say, it's your problem. You're treating me this way without, without stepping back in and saying, you know, really, I think the key is empathy. You know, I think for a long time, and I don't want to speak on behalf of my sister, but I feel like we share some similar feelings about, you know, perhaps misunderstanding our stepmother. And Mm. I had this very unique experience. So because my mother died, my dad remarried and my stepmom was this amazing woman. She was on a career trajectory. She went from being the secretary of her company to being the CEO of the company for many, many years. She was a tremendous role model but she was also very emotionally closed off. And that really was very difficult on my sister and I, because then that impacted us in a way that we felt our emotional needs weren't being met by a parental figure that we needed at that time. And I feel like I've been able to heal that trauma to some extent, because I had lunch with a woman at my workplace who was stepping into a similar situation. She was going to become a stepmother to two young boys that were exactly the same age as my sister and I were her Mm -hmm. soon to be husband's wife had passed or was removed from their lives entirely. And so she, and I had this amazing conversation where she said, tell me how you felt as a child when your mother was working all the time. And I felt like, Oh, nobody pays attention to me. And I started to articulate the trauma that that had inflicted on me. And then she held the mirror and said, Hey, had you ever thought about how difficult it might be to find a babysitter for children of this age on a Tuesday night so she could go see her play? Or did you ever think about how difficult it was to bring two small children that were toddlers? Because I have a brother that's 11 years younger and a sister that's 12 years younger. So they were toddlers when I was in high school and on the varsity swim team. Have you ever considered how difficult it would be to bring toddlers to a swim meet and sit at a swim pool for five hours watching you swim? 
And so then I started to be a little bit more empathetic and was able to look at that situation through a different lens that I don't think my sister had the luxury of being able to do. And I think she's still very wounded by the situation, but because I was able to have empathy and because I was able to look at things through a different lens. And because I also recognize that I, I I've since learned that she's had her own traumas, you know, and her own childhood. And then Mm -hmm. you give grace to the other person. I really think that you're, what you're saying is so powerful that there is true healing in the ability that we have to look at our own situations through an empathetic lens. And so true. It's so powerful. Yeah. And we can always choose to forget, you know, I mean, there's, there's a Buddhist saying, you know, like we, we, get mad at people and we like, we swallow this poison of hate and we expect them to suffer, but we're the ones that are suffering as mm-hmm. long as we're holding on to that hate or that, that unforgiving spirit, you know? Yeah. And I mean, think about too, like from her perspective, like, wow, you know, getting married and having two small children. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever dated a widower, but I have, and it's real hard being the person to yeah. come behind someone who died. Wow. I mean, you know, like, it's really hard. And so imagine like with two small children in the mix as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's huge when you start taking that other person's perspective and you think, well, what was it like for her? You know? Right. Um, yeah. And how brave she was, you know, even to take it a further, how courageous she was to step into that situation and have enough love to embrace us. Yeah. To take on oh. that challenge of like, you yeah. know, I'm, in this new relationship. And I also have these two small children that are, you know, that need love and that need some, somebody here for them. And yeah, while trying to also like build your career and and recover from whatever you said, her childhood trauma was, you know, it's, it's so simple. And if we realize that, you know, everybody's dealing with it, it helps us forgive our parents for the things that, you know, that we might think we were slighted by that was really just them living out their childhood wounds as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Gosh, we're all just a work in progress. And one of the things that we talked about a little bit before we got on the podcast was this idea of empathy blockers. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about that because as I'm sitting here listening to what it is that you're saying, that's really what's weighing on my mind is what is that's preventing us from looking at these situations through a lens of empathy and letting go of these these traumas that are impacting our relationships? Yeah. So, um, so we talk about empathy blockers. So, you know, somebody's coming to you and they've got a problem, something's going on with them and they start telling you about it. And in order to really be empathetic with somebody else, we have to really kind of put ourselves in their shoes. Like we Mm. really have to sort of like find a place in ourselves that understands that feeling even. And that's what I love about the perspective with the values piece. We can be completely different people with completely different values. If I understand you and I know what you value, I might not be upset about this thing you're upset about. But I understand why you are, because there's yes. a value that you have that is not being met. You know, it's not, it's, there's something um, at odds with your values. And so a lot of times when people bring us their problems, we do things and they're very well-intentioned, right? Like we're trying to show them that we're connecting with them. We're trying to help them. Like, let, let me help you. Like we think, especially like educators, like, you know, we're just used to helping people. So it's mm-hmm. like, we want to jump right in and fix it or tell you what to do. And so we have this list that we call empathy blockers. One of them is silver lining it. And you probably have a friend like this that, you know, you tell them what's going on. Well, at least such and such will look on the bright side, <laughs> you know, and while that's nice to remember that there are things in your life to be grateful for, it doesn't take away that 
that one thing that you're upset about right then. It kind of like, so it sort of oh, minimizes true. it. Like, well, that's not a very big deal because you have all these good things going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Still, thing is still a big deal, right? Um, another one is fixer upper. And I, I don't want to be, I don't want to say, that, I don't want to like be divisive about like, the sexes, but men really want to fix problems for people. I mean, it's in their mm-hmm. DNA, right? Like they're sort of like, but I know a lot of women too that are like, yeah, that's no, that's same. me. I'm, I'm yeah. 100% the fixer. Yeah. I will fix your problem, yeah. my problem and everybody else, then the neighbor's problem before lunch. Yeah. So we so can go on with our what, days. Yeah. <laughs> someone tells you what's going on and you're like, let me tell you how to fix it. But your yep. solution and my solution might be very different. What, what, what works for you might not feel right to me. And that's where the empathy piece really comes in. If we shower someone with enough empathy and we just like listen to them as they talk about what's going on, we, we, we do what we call mirroring. Like we mirror back what we hear with their pro- the perspective again, we mirror back the problem that we're here. We, mir- we mirror back the feelings that mm-hmm. we're hearing, the needs and like, well, you really value this thing and that's not happening right now. And the more that we sort of are a mirror for them about what they're experiencing it and let them hear it for themselves and talk it out while we hold space. A lot of times yeah. they solve their own problems. They well, that's can- what it sounds like Shelby's friend did for her, yes. right? She held yeah, that mirror so. up yeah. exactly. mm-hmm. to her mother. So then we can self-regulate them. Then we can solve our own problem once we just mm-hmm. kind of think about it enough. Um, another one's interrogating. And I will share with you that this is probably my favorite empathy blocker because I'm a big picture person. So mm. someone starts telling me something about a problem and I want to know all the details. I want to know like <laughs> everything that's going on so that I get a really clear picture, you know, but if you're telling me something that's upsetting you and I'm peppering you with questions, right. that can feel overwhelming and it could upset you even more. Can you, you know? please relive your entire traumatic right. experience <laughs> for me? Thank you. Um, another one, and this happened to me a lot growing up, discounting. So this is like, oh, you're being oversensitive. You know, you shouldn't be upset about that. Well, I will tell you that I am a very sensitive person. I always have been. Um, I was programmed that way my whole life. And there was this feeling from my family that that wasn't okay. You're too sensitive. I'm the baby of the family. So maybe that's part of it. But it was always like, oh, you're being sensitive. Stop being so sensitive. And I will tell you that now I own my sensitivity as my superpower. Like that that makes me really good at my job. It helps me connect with people. So telling someone not to be upset, not to cry, not to, you know, you're being too sensitive. That does not help. That actually makes it worse because now I'm questioning myself on top Mm -hmm. of this whole problem that I have. Um, another one that people do a lot, and we really think that by doing this, we're showing the person that we really know what's happening with them. We call it stealing the thunder. So you start telling me about something that happened to you and I go, oh my gosh, girl, that happened to me too. And I start talking about my problem. Mm -hmm. And now your problem is totally on the back burner because I've stolen the thunder. And, and I want to talk about, yeah, the time that that happened to me. And now, you know, I felt, and, and it's all about me now. And so the person that has the immediate problem is being just kind of pushed to the side. So that can feel, that can really make you feel invisible. It's like, okay, we're going to talk about you now. Um, and then finally sympathizing and, and people kind of get a bit, a little funny about this one sometimes because we, we send sympathy cards, right. When somebody, when something happens, um, but the difference between sympathy and empathy. So sympathy is feeling bad for someone. Empathy is feeling bad with someone. Mm. So it feels bad, in my opinion, if I'm upset about something and people say, oh, bless your heart, you poor thing, I'm so sorry. None of that feels good. It actually, so I already have this problem. And now on top of it, you're pitying me and you're calling me poor thing. Mm-hmm. And I have a really great example of how I shifted that narrative in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I told you a minute ago, my dad died in June. The day after my dad died, I I woke up and 
I'm not someone who really shares super personal things like that usually on social media, mm-hmm. but I was looking at Facebook and a memory popped up on Facebook. My dad died a few days before Father's Day this year. And so this memory popped up from Facebook where I had posted some pictures of my dad when he was younger. And I, and I'd said how happy I was that we had a close relationship and that we talked every day. And when that memory popped up, I thought, well, now I feel like I need to share that he died. You know, it it felt like a sign that I should share it, but I didn't want all those. I'm so sorry. in the comments, I just did not want that. And so I did the post and I said, I don't usually share these things, but it felt like a sign. And I said, rather than telling me that you're sorry for me. I would really love it if you would tell me that you're happy for me. Tell me you're happy that I was able to heal my relationship with him. Mm. Tell me you're you're happy that I just spent a week with him, putting him in hospice care and that we were very close at the end. Tell me you're happy. And I just gave this whole list of things that I was grateful for. And the comments I got, you guys, like it was just, it made me feel so good. And And people were like, thank you for putting it that way. Thank you for saying that. Like they just thought it was amazing how I just shifted that in their, in their minds as well, that I don't want to hear you're sorry. I want to hear that you're so like proud of me for healing this relationship. Yes. For being there for someone who had put me through so much hell as a kid, you know? Yes. So it, it was really a huge shift for me, but it was really fun to also be able to shift it for other people through that post. And those comments, I go back and read them once in a while because it feels good. Yeah. If everybody, if everybody had said, I'm so sorry, sorry for your loss, blah, blah, that would have felt horrible. And I already felt bad enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How empowering. So, yeah. so that's what, yeah. that's my big story about why sympathizing with people can feel really bad. You know, it's like, I, yeah. I already feel bad. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. You know, <laughs> like mm. I just need you to be there for me. That's amazing. Yeah. It and, is amazing. And you've, girl, you got <laughs> something to say. Say nope. it. I, nope. I, don't forgot, I don't forgot already. No, well, I was just sitting here thinking, um, you know, you've given us so many, so many good tools as to how to empathize with others, how to heal the relationships. What does it take to recognize that you're in this space? Because I'm thinking of someone in my personal life that I see is really struggling right now. And I think there are traumas that this person needs to heal, but doesn't know it and doesn't know that she is in control of her own destiny. And so she is stuck. And what can I do as somebody who cares so much for her to, to be that mirror? How can I approach the situation to help her start to take ownership and, and her own steps toward healing herself. Yeah. What can I, is there something, is there something I can do as a friend? You know, that is so, it's so hard, right? Because when we see somebody else suffering and the solution is so obvious to us or the, their strength is so obvious to us and they don't even see their own strength. It's really, really, and, and I'm saying this from the opposite perspective, because I was that person 10 years ago. I was that person that was in like this horrible relationship and we'd break up and we'd get back together. My friends were sick of hearing about it. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm like, they're all going to desert me. And, and I just, I stayed in it until I couldn't be in it anymore. And that was what really shifted my life. Like I had to, and I hate to say hit rock bottom because it's such a cliche, but I had to get to the point where I just wasn't going to take it anymore. And sometimes that's what people need and we can't force them into it. Cause believe me, my friends and family tried to force me into it and it didn't work until I was ready to let go of it all. So I would definitely say that 
having empathy for the person, you know, being there for them, being a safe space for them, showing them kindness, you know, telling them what to do, we know is not going to work, right? Because people have probably already told them that. There's actually a really great video you guys should watch. Um, it's called, It's Not About the Nail. It's on YouTube. Oh, we love that. But I know yeah. that video. So yeah, okay. So we, we use that video in our trainings with Fuel Ed. And I, I love to think about that nail as a metaphor. I, I mean, because seriously, we all have nails in our heads. I'm sure yes. you guys know. And, and a lot of times we know exactly what it is and where it is, but that nail got put there for some reason. And it might be the only thing holding us together. Yeah, You know what I mean? So, so her nail may be really obvious to you, Shelby, but it may not be obvious to her, or maybe it is, but she's clinging to it for dear life because it's like a survival strategy. It's like yeah. her security blanket and she's not going to pull it out until she's good and ready. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things that, that the person has to finally get to that point. So really all we can do before they get there is just keep giving them empathy, just keep being there for them, even as exhausting as I know it can be um, to be there in the same situation over and over again, to see them in that same place over and over again. I mean, suggesting a counselor could help, you know, if she's not already seeing one might be another thing that she's not going to do until she's ready. So yeah, it's hard. It's it hard. We have to come to those places ourselves. And, you know, before we reach the end of our time here, I just want to take a moment and encourage our listener that woman out there, you're, you're doing the dishes right now or driving in your car or you know, walking the dog and, and this is resonating with you and you are realizing that there are pieces of you that are stuck in the spaces and the nurturing and the rearing that you did or did not get coming up and you're seeing how it's affecting you. I want to encourage you, Shelby and I want to encourage you that you own your identity and who you want to be now and tomorrow and for the rest of this glorious life that you are living in. You can shift. You can heal and you can grow and become the very best version of you and live that kick-ass life, girl, that you know you are destined to live. So go out there and do it. And we are all in this together. Let's make this happen together and lean on one another. And as you listen to this, jot the things down that are resonating with you and girl, we got you. Make this happen. Yeah. I have it together. I have some great suggestions for resources too, because some people don't want to go to counseling, right? Some people yeah. just like, I can do this myself. So I'm a big, I'm a big book person. Like I love books and I've been, I mean, I have a degree in psychology. So this is stuff that I've studied my whole life, but some of my favorite books on these topics, um, there's a book called Attached and it's by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Okay. And that book talks about attachment styles and how they play out in relationships mm. and about how different combinations of attachment styles play out and, and what to do about it and how to, how to learn to live with one another. Uh, I was really excited when I read that book. One of my college professors was, um, was noted in there, um, his research. So that's a really great book about attachment styles and relationships. Um, another great book about trauma is called The Body Keeps the Score. Ooh. By Bessel van der Kolk is his name, and he's a trauma researcher. And, um, you know, it just talks about like how this manifests in our body. And like I said earlier, how it can cause illnesses if we don't clear it, if we don't take care of it. Um, another really great book that recently came out last year. Um, so a lot of times when people were, are, you know, acting in these ways, we want to say like, what's wrong with you? But really it's what happened to you. And there's a really great book called What Happened to You? Um, that Oprah Winfrey co-authored last year with Dr. Bruce Perry, who is another uh, trauma researcher. And it's it's just a really fantastic book about 
childhood trauma and how it impacts our lives and how we can overcome it. And then finally, one of my favorite books from last year, and you know, it's Houston. So we all know Brene Brown, right? Yes. Um, Atlas of the Heart, her book. We love you, Brene. We love you, girl. Yeah. So like that (laughs) book, it's like a, I call it like a textbook of emotions. Not only is it a beautiful book in full color, but it really dives into all kinds of emotions. And sometimes we just have a hard time pinpointing, like what is going on with us? What is this emotion I'm feeling? And and how do I deal Ah. with it? And I love that book because it's so comprehensive and just gives so many um, great definitions and examples of emotions and how they play out in our lives. So those are my, my sort of like, de- you know, next to my bed books that yes. are really yes. helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you yeah. for that. We are really honing in on this idea of listening to your body and listening to your emotions and that they are really there to tell you something, that there's a story behind what it is that you're feeling, whether you're feeling it in your heart or your, you know, um, wherever you're feeling it in your body, maybe you're feeling it through some sort of illness or something, but there is some history there that is being told through your pain, your illnesses, your body. And I really am starting to believe that. I mean, I think five years ago you would have said, Oh, well, if you have this joint muscle pain, that that would be some traumatic, the result of a traumatic experience that happened to me in childhood, I would have said no way, but today I'm really starting to pay heed to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of also really great people that I follow on Instagram. If you're interested in that one of them, the Instagram account is called the dot holistic dot psychologist. And that's Dr. Nicole LaPera. And um, it's a really great, she has a website too, that, you know, has like self-guided kind of therapy. She's really, really interesting. And there's another one called the secure relationship. And she has a lot of information about attachment style. She has really Ah. great graphics. Um, Her name is Julie Manano and she has really great graphics and, you know, breaks down attachment style stuff step-by-step and really gives you examples of all that. So I love their work and I I follow them on Instagram. Mm. Thank you for those resources. Yeah. So important that we all have a place where we can go, we can turn and start to heal. Dottie, you've shared so so much information with us. I can't wait to put all of this valuable information and resources in our show notes. We'll make sure that it's available there. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Tell us about your program, Fuel Ed. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... um you know, when I became a teacher, I went through all this training to become a teacher, right? I wasn't certified. I became a teacher at 32 and I went through this certification program and they taught me curriculum. They taught me about pedagogy and, you know, classroom management, but nobody ever said, this is how you connect with kids, right? Mm. Nobody ever said, this is how to, to, you know, really build relationships with kids. I knew that that was important because Mrs. Helper was one of my inspirations for becoming a teacher. And, Mm. and I will tell you that at that point in my life, I found her, um, so we are, we are Facebook friends. We talk, we text and oh, she's, in, she's, in Florida. she's in Florida, you guys, and I'm 54 years old. So she taught me, you know, 47 years ago and she's, we are friends. Um, but I knew that it was important because I, from personal experience, right. That's, I wanted to be that person for somebody else. And so about five years ago, I went to this training and it was fuel ed. And I was like, wow, these people really get it. This is the stuff that like, I never got when I was becoming a teacher that I just had on my own because I study this stuff. 
a lot of people don't study this stuff on their own. And so teachers don't have that preparation. So Fuel Ed is a nonprofit. We work with educators around the country. Um, Sometimes we have people in Zooms from around the world in our programs. And um, we basically just teach educators about how to become a secure attachment figure for, for their students. Because as we said, people are, kids are coming to school from these really difficult situations. They don't have a secure attachment figure in their life at home. And so teachers really are called upon so many times to also be a parental figure for their kids. And one third of our kids come to schools with insecure attachments, mm. depending, depending on the neighborhood you're living in, the, the community you're living in, it could be as many as two thirds. So these kids come to school completely unregulated from chaotic environments. It's hard for them to learn because their amygdala is freaking out. When your amygdala is freaking out, your prefrontal cortex can't, can't function. So we really teach teachers how to connect with kids, how to become a secure attachment figure for kids so that they can learn. And we talk about how all of this can be healed through relationships. Uh, We give teachers the skills, the science, we dig into all the brain research, the trauma research. We go through all the empathy tools and, you know, how to be empathetic with one another. And just really help them with their own attachment styles so they can become secure attachments for others because they come to school oftentimes as insecure attachment styles as well. So we really help. It's it's life-changing, like it's transformative. And it's changed my life in the past five years doing this work. And every time I do a workshop, something in me shifts. I was teaching one of these workshops the day I found out my father died. And oh, wow. And, but my dad was so proud of me for doing that work. I, I walked back in that room and I finished that workshop and I had more to my story to tell people, you know, there was another piece of my story that I could add to it. So, so yeah, it's, it's just this amazing work helping teachers so that they can help their kids. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you Applause. so much for that work. And I have to just, uh, I know the work that Dottie does personally, and it's really touched my life. And so I just, want to say thank you so much for being here. It's just been such a joy to speak with you today. And I, f- I think something has shifted in me just with this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank that, you. That makes me happy. I live to help people. Like I use my experiences, my pain just to transform other people, to help them as well. It's so important that we reach out to one another and help each other. It's been a great conversation. I'm yeah. so appreciative. Thank you for your, your time today, Dottie. Thanks, Trinity. Thanks, Shelby. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. What a great conversation. So many tips and tools and takeaways from this. I feel like I I can't get enough because I just felt like I have so much growth in this space right now. (laughs) And um, you know, it's real when I cry. When I cry, cry. we've hit a deep zone. So uh, I'm not crying anymore on this podcast. Oh my God, girl. I love it when you cry. I don't I like it. it. Ooh, it makes my little tummy. I get all sniffly and red nose. I know, uh-huh. but it means to me that you're really healing and growing. Yeah. And letting and your guard down a little bit. And I think yeah. that's a good thing. I think that's I do a good too. thing. I do too. So I yeah. I, I, I want to know what, what's one of the things you took away from this show. You know, the thing that I, I had heard the buzzword attachment theory, attachment style, but I didn't really know truly what it really meant. I think Dottie shed a different light on what I'd heard Mm -hmm. in the past. And one thing that really stood out to me is that when you are born, 
the only part of your brain that is actually truly developed 100% is your amygdala, which is your emotional Mm. brain. Mm-hmm. And so that really resonated with me because it makes so much sense why we make those decisions from that emotional place sometimes. And it also makes sense why attachment styles can develop because when you are so young, you rely on your caregivers tremendously to be yeah. your rational brain. And they could be great at doing that or they could be not so great at doing yeah. that. And they're yeah. doing that during such an impressionable stage in life. And that is where your thoughts and patterns are formed. And that was super fascinating to me. Yeah, I agree. You know, for me, I I just felt kind of sucker punched between the eyes when we were having that conversation around the dance and being able to resolve our differences and our approach by using empathy, but thinking about it like, your dance steps and that when you change your dance steps the other person is forced to change their dance steps and it can heal the relationship but it can also make you realize that the two of you are dancing to two completely different tunes and yeah that was my realization in that moment about someone who's been a lifelong friend that she likes to dance the tango and I like to do the running man. And, you know, I don't have to sit here and try to do the tango, nor do I have to continue to dance with a partner who's not only dancing to a different tune or dancing a different step, mm. but consistently steps on my toes and yeah. continues to hurt me. I love that realization. And I love seeing you a little bit vulnerable. And two, I think it also leads into the lesson, which is trying to see things through the lens of the other person because it's inevitable that people are going to step on our toes. It's inevitable that people are going to do things uh, that make us upset or frustrated or trigger us. So then I loved, what was it? She called it the the perspectrum. Perspectrum. Yes. Where you actually are considering someone else's perspective and you use that tool to kind of evaluate things through their lens and perspective like what is the problem that they're having and what are they feeling and yeah what's the story that they're telling themselves mm-hmm. and i think that is that is so powerful absolutely and then in approaching that let's not forget that when we're communicating we should be using the three-part genuine statement and so the first part ladies, let's all remember is to identify and state the behaviors. So that's going to be like, you know, when this happens and you call out the specific behavior, then you want to call to light the impact that that behavior has on you. So when this happens, being the first part, the impact, you would say, this is the impact on me. And that will move you to the third part, which is stating how it makes you feel. So when this happens, This is the impact on me. And this is how I feel. So powerful. Honestly, this is one that I teach to my children all the time. It's important. Yeah. So important. And then the last thing she talked about are the empathy blockers. And I think we all have really good intentions when we have these conversations and somebody comes to us and they share with us what it is that they're thinking and feeling. And again, I think we come from a space where we're genuinely trying to be empathetic to the other person, but those empathy blockers have a kind of a a subconscious impact on the other person. So be aware of those too, right? I know which ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, so, so much good content and conversation and aha moments yeah. today. We want to thank Dottie one more time for shedding a light on all of this. And we want to thank you as well. Our ladies in the middle, our girl out there in the grocery store listening right now, honey, thank you for tuning in. Yes. And we don't want to forget our two guys, the two guys listening. <laughs> hey, what's up, bruh? What's up, bruh? We know, uh, we know you're listening. We know you're getting something out of this too. That's right. And uh, and do not forget that we want you to subscribe and um, we want you to make sure you're joining the conversation so that we can continue to have the conversations that bring us all life and bring us all closer together to living the very best that we can. And we can't wait to see you next week in the middle. <laughs> <laughs>